Welcome to Talking Pictures. My name is Christian Genzel. I'm a filmmaker and film journalist from Salzburg, Austria. Talking Pictures is an interview series in which I talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies, from cult movie directors to character actors, from seasoned veterans to brilliant newcomers, from celebrated artists to filmmakers who haven't received the recognition they deserve. These folks have lots of fascinating stories to tell. As part of our focus on the video game adaptations of the 90s, I spoke to Jim Yukich, director of Double Dragon, an adaptation of the popular beat-em-up video game series. The movie came out in November 1994, one and a half years after Super Mario Bros., and just a few weeks before Steven D'Souza's Street Fighter movie, so it's actually the second video game movie to be released. And just like Super Mario, it was a commercial and critical failure, even though the film is much better and more enjoyable than its reputation suggests. While Double Dragon was Jim Yukich's first movie, he had already established himself as a very prolific music video director. Jim shot videos for artists like Genesis, Phil Collins, Ara Maiden, David Bowie, Kenny Loggins, Foreigner, Jeff Beck, Mike and the Mechanics, Pat Benatar, Ario Speedwagon, Cheap Trick, Whitney Houston, and a ton of other famous musicians. He created Michael Jackson's Liberian Girl video, which featured superstar cameos by the likes of Steven Spielberg, Quincy Jones, John Travolta, Weird Al Yankovic, Richard Dreyfuss, Dan Aykroyd, and many others. While Jim has made only one more movie since Double Dragon, he remains busy creating concert videos for bands like Crosby, Stills and Nash, Def Leppard, and even Megadeth. In this episode, Jim shares how the Double Dragon movie came together. He talks about how he and producer Alan Schechter, actually a good friend of his, didn't quite see eye to eye on the tone of the movie, whether it should be a tough dystopian action picture or a cheerful and fun adventure for kids. Jim also recalls several of the problems the production ran into, like the original director of photography, Tony Mitchell, injuring himself right at the beginning and then trying to continue working on the film from a stretcher. He also talks about how the film turned out to be very popular on a small island in the Pacific. For more on the video game movies of the 90s, please check out our other interviews here on Talking Pictures, including an interview with Rocky Morton, co-director of Super Mario Bros., an interview with Steven D'Souza, writer and director of Street Fighter, and with Kevin Droney, the screenwriter of Mortal Kombat and Wing Commander. If you speak German, there's also an episode number 38 of our Lichtspielplatz podcast with in-depth discussions of all these movies. You can find us at talkingpicturespodcast.com. So here's Talking Pictures with director Jim Yukich about the making of Double Dragon. It was interesting because when we were filming um, Double Dragon in Cincinnati, I mean, that's, I mean, in Cleveland, we, um, we took one afternoon when we were, we were shooting nights and... We went and saw Super Mario to see like what the competition was going to be like, <laughs> you know, which was pretty funny, which was funny. And and the interesting thing that I found out about Super Mario, and I don't know how much you found out, maybe you found out more when you spoke to Rocky, but um, it was a, a real nightmare. I mean, they're all films are a nightmare. It's like, you know, Alan Schechter, the guy who was one of our producers, always said it's like going to war of shooting a movie, mm. you know, but... But Mario was particularly kind of a nightmare because um, my friend Dean Semler was the cinematographer. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he took over directing the film. So we kind of wanted to go and see, okay, how does this look? What happened? And, yeah, the, 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 you know, they never really translate, like, you know, to exactly what people's hopes are because the video game is, you know, in, it's just like listening to a song and, I did a lot of music videos over the years and people, you know, would get mad 
because in their mind they'd have like one image of the song and then you do a video and it's a completely different kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I think that, that that's kind of the same, you know, the similarity in the sense that that people that are so into certain things see it in their mind. And that's kind of, a, that's a nice thing. But then when somebody adapts it, you know, it can't expect it, you can't expect it to be the exact same thing because it just doesn't translate. I mean, there's, you know, you're thinking in terms of exposition and backstory and everything else that you have to get in to this little, you know, 90 minute film. And, and that, you know, one of our goals was to keep it short because we wanted to, you know, keep keep uh, it interesting for kids and people with short attention spans. But um, the biggest problem that we had on our film, you know, just jumping right into it, <clears throat> is that, you know, first of all, we had multiple writers, and I don't know if, how much background you know about Double Dragon, but there was there was you know, like three groups of writers on on the movie. You know, when when I got in, when I got involved, it was it went from. You know, it, it, at first it was just, um, you know, like, like Paul, Paul Dini, you know, came up with, with, uh, you know, the kind of like the original idea or concept with, you know, with, uh, with Neil Schusterman. And I don't know if you know, or if you spoke to any of them or not, but, but they, I didn't even, I didn't even deal with them. That was like done before I, when I got there, Neil Schusterman was like the one that was like the writer. Mm-hmm. And then. And then after after that, um, we we brought on this other writer, you know, Peter Gould, and 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 uh, and his partner, and they and they took over the writing, and they kind of like rewrote the whole thing because the producers didn't like it, and the Schusterman version, and they wanted it a little bit more for kids, and then you had it got to the point where it was just, it, it, it worked, but it didn't have any life to it, any humor to it. So then we brought in another writer named Mark Brazil to just add like humor to it, basically to make it more natural. And so with the combination of all those writers that kind of dragged everything, you know, down because you have all of a sudden you have, you know, six brains instead of like one brain in charge, you know? So it was like weird. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's like a, if you had six people collaborating on, you know, on a project as opposed to just one or two visions, you know, and then beyond that, the producers didn't get along. I mean, they got along because they were brothers and they were friends, but, but you had producers, you had two producers that I'd never met. They just bought the property uh, Murphy. And I think one was named Murphy and the other one was named, uh, I can't even remember what her name was, um, but she, they, they, I never met them, but the, the Shaw brothers who were the, the main producers, they had different visions of it as well. They, they saw it as more of a, you know, kids action movie and Alan Schechter, Alan Schechter, who was the, the uh, kind of the like, you know, lone gun that worked for Imperial. He saw it as more of an adult action, not adult, but more of an action film. You got to understand Alan's background. So, so Alan was Joel Silver's assistant for years. So, so Alan came from that, you know, let's, let's, everything's got to be real, the details, the explosions, the whole bit. So he was spending my money like crazy getting these like weapons made and these custom things made. And, and, and the, and the other producers had no idea you know, that was going on. They saw it as more like, you know, a story, you know, like a cute story for kids. And 
So it ended up being somewhere in the middle, which didn't really, you know, wasn't one way or the other. It wasn't good enough to be like a, a Joel Silver film, and it wasn't, you know, kid-friendly enough to be a kid film necessarily. And then towards the end, what happened in America was they have a rating system here, and it was rated at PG-13, which was, you know, it was, it was almost an R rating, for violence or something, which, which we found incredible because there was like no violence in this movie. I don't know if you, you you know, back then, I guess, I guess it was considered violent back then. But so, you know, when I found out it was PG 13, even I offered to come in and and cut stuff out that, you know, that they're questioning, like if there was language or if there was any kind of thing that, that was violent because, because nothing needed to be in the film except for stuff that related to the story. So, you know, I thought we could fix this because our audience of kids is not going to be able to go without their parents to see this film, you know, and, and, and Alan didn't want to fix it because he thought PG 13 would be kind of hipper and cooler because, you know, then adults and teenagers would think, Oh, it's, it's not just a Disney movie, you know? And, and, and so, so that was a kind of, you know, that was, there were so many downfalls beyond the scenes of those kind of things that it was almost, it's almost humor, you know, uh, comical now, as I look at it, you know, back then I was like upset about it all, but now it's like, okay, you know, I, I look back at the film now and, you know, there's times, there's times like years go by where I don't even think about the film or when I, you know, I haven't seen it. And then when I see bits and parts of it, I thought, well, I mean, I'm not really happy with the, the cinematography could have been a little bit better here and there, but it wasn't a bad kids movie. You know, it, it, it had its, it had its moments as a kids movie. And I wish we had more time to do a lot of the stuff. You know, I look at stuff and I say, boy, we, we really cut back on this cause we couldn't afford to do this. And you know, there's a lot of errors that I made cause as a first time director, you know, I, I was getting bossed around like crazy by all these people. And, and, and again, in hindsight, which is easy to say, I would have put my foot down more and said, no, this is the way we want to do it. You know? Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't really, I didn't really, I tried to compromise and, and I found at the end that you can't compromise between people that are at opposite ends of the spectrum. Pretty soon you end up with like nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it was kind of a shame that way, but as far as, the, um, the video game part of it, it, you know, it, it had a, I mean, it had, I think I think it had a potential, but it had a built in audience. It just, it just didn't hit home like mm. they, they thought it would, you know? Mm. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if you have anything particular you want to ask about anything. Cause I'm just kind of rambling at this point. Um, yeah, I actually have a couple of things, but you already touched upon some of them. Um, so, you said that you weren't on board when the first draft uh, was created by Paul Dini and, and Neil Schusterman. And then, so what I'm curious about is how you got involved in the first place with Double Dragon and then what your vision for the film would have been, uh, you know, with all the different voices out there that say, okay, this is going to be this, this is going to be that. Well, I got him, the way I got on board was I, Alan Schechter brought me on board. Alan was, a, you know, before he worked for Joel Silver, Believe it or not, he worked for me as a production assistant, wow. and he he worked on a lot of my videos, a lot of my shows that I did, and we really got along well because he was the nicest guy. I mean, he he was a film buff. He was you know very loyal, and what he did was 
he went, you know, when he went and worked for Joe Silver and got to the point where he became a producer, he wanted to bring me back in because we were friends from way back, kind of. So, so he 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 actually brought me in. As far as um, what I would have done with the film, that was that's part of the problem. See, Alan brought me in, and Alan was the producer that wanted it to be an adult action film, uh-huh. and. My thinking, I was leaning more towards the Shaw Brothers, where I thought this could be a great kids movie, you know, not not like a sappy Disney kids movie, but you know, like like an intelligent kids movie where where the humor could be enjoyed by kids and adults, you know. I mean, in, in two different ways, much like I don't know if you ever saw the original movie of Willy Wonka, which mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I mean, there's 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 humor in that movie that appeals to both, you know, kids think it's, things are funny, but yet there's underlying meaning that adults could understand as well, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I thought, I thought that's kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted it to be a great kids movie. And by the fact that Alan brought me in, it was very difficult for me to, to, to all of a sudden to, to like throw him under the bus, as they say, or turn on him and say, Alan, I don't want to do it your way. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, so, it, it put me in a weird position, kind of, you know, and that that's part of the the, the reason why it, I didn't make a big stand about, you know, how things should be done this way or that way, because I was fighting between a, a friend and, you know, and what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. you know, that I was like caught in the middle, you know, I don't know if you know much about the writers on the show, but it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, who Paul, you know, who Paul Dini is, right? Yeah, the comic book um, author. He's the yeah, one yeah. of the creators of Harley Quinn, actually. Do you know oh. who uh, Peter Gould is, who came in as a second writing team? Um, yeah, he is the creator of, of Better Call Saul. Um, I think it was Better producer on Breaking and Bad, he, and then he he created the the spinoff show. Yeah, he was he was the main head writer on Breaking Bad for years. Uh, you know, so so and then and then the third writer was Mark Brazil. Do you know who who he is? No. Mark Brazil was a friend of mine who was a comedy writer who worked for my same management team. And I called them and said, I need somebody to come in and, you know, and basically beef up the dialogue and to make, add some jokes and make it a little bit funnier. And so they sent Mark Brazil over and that was the first time I worked with Mark. And after Double Dragon, Mark created a show here called uh, Third Rock from the Sun, which was a very popular show, and oh, okay. then he created a show. Called, then he created a show called the That '70s Show, which was huge in America, mm. a huge TV show. And so it's interesting that all three kind of the writers were ended up being like huge writers, mm. you know. And and yet and yet the movie was not that great. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there was a lot so, of talent involved. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what I yeah, basically that's what I mean. It was it was there was there was a lot of talent involved for what actually happened, but <laughs> it was it, it was a, it was a fun it was a fun movie. But it was like you know, Alan Schechter would always say it's like going to war. You know, every day, these guys. I mean, the writers would write the scripts. You know, and and Mark ne- Mark Brazil never wrote like too much of the the storyline stuff. He would alter mostly dialogue and things to like make it feel better. But you know, they, they, they gave us the, the script and a kid's movie in America. And those in those days, you had to keep it like around 90 minutes because again, at the attention span and, and kids won't sit through more, much more at that time, at that time they didn't. And so 
we were at like 110 pages, you know, and they said, well, just shoot it and we'll cut out stuff. Well, you know what happens when you do that. All of a sudden it becomes choppy and it's a different story. I mean, it's not the same story. And then even at 110 pages, you'd have one thing in the middle of the page that says the fight begins. And, <laughs> and the fight is not just a one sentence. That's like three or four minutes, you know? So even though it's only one page, you got a, a the fight begins. And, and, and the theater scene that we shot where Shuko comes through the back door and he, and they ch- chase his, his guys chase, chase the brothers like up the balcony. And, and there's, that took like, like six days to shoot because, <laughs> you know, because we had, you know, we, we, we were kind of like tight in this theater and we were trying to get as much as we can. And, and, and the, the uh, stunt coordinator was, you know, was, was coming up with all these things that we had to shoot these little bits at, at a time. Cause, cause like Scott Wolf, the one actor was pretty, you know, pretty athletic, but he wasn't a stunt man. Mark DeCoscos was very athletic, you know, and, and, and so he could do all this stuff. So, but we were dealing with people that weren't really, you know, martial arts stunt people, you know, to, uh, that could, you know, for this stuff. And, the thing that says the fight begins bogged us down everywhere we went because the, the it was just all of a sudden we're into this shooting this big scene where as the story you know was already long so it, it, it there was a lot of problems from the beginning i mean i thought again personally if, if i had put my foot down i would have said we that we, we we're not going to start shooting this thing until we have an like a 90 page script at least just a 90 page script that's that that we're all happy with you know mm-hmm. and 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 that, and that never happened because they they just they wanted a, a lot of the reason again is they wanted to get it out there because mario was coming out and all these other movies were coming out and they wanted to, to, to jump in on that whole that whole thing mm-hmm. were you familiar with the game at all I was, I became familiar, well, my nephews used to play it all the time. I had, you know, like relatives that, that, you know, that played it growing up and I was, I never really played it, but I became familiar with it once I got hired to do the movie. I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I kind of, I, I went, you know, and, and played it and I talked to everybody I knew that knew about the game to just, to just make sure that I kind of knew the difference in what we were doing and, it you know I, obviously it, again I could see right away okay here's the problem the 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 game you got these two kind of adults and you know there's a lot of things that there's no sto- you know there's a story but it's just like a a to a to b kind of thing not like there's nothing no back no backstory so everything was made up I could have I didn't really really argue much of that because I realized that there's no way. You know, it's got to, obviously it's got to be something, you know, we got to come up with a story that, that works on the screen that, that doesn't exist in the game, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at which point did the story that um, eventually ended up uh, carrying the film, uh, like the, the, the double dragon medallion, the two brothers who are, um, you know, sort of trying to figure out this power that they have inherited and the bad guy who's trying to get the other half of the medallion. Uh, when did that uh, story come into play at which point? I think it, it well, it, it, it was in play with Deanie and Schusterman kind of like in that era, in that period, in the, mm-hmm. in the very beginning. 
So, I mean, they, they basically did the whole germ of the idea. The, the subsequent writers dealt more with taking that story and making it more um, audience-friendly, you know, and, and also um, I think a lot of the stuff that Schusterman did was pretty impossible for, well, it wasn't impossible necessarily, but in those days, you know, with CGI wasn't that great and everything, but Schusterman's film was way more expensive to do, you know, and the Shaw brothers, the Shaw brothers didn't want to do a movie that, that was that expensive. You know I mean? There was all kinds of like aerial stuff and, and huge scenes, you know, where, where people, you know, flying on ropes through ceilings and stuff, you know, and I mean, it, it would have been, it would have been a real, you know, expensive, long film to make and <clears throat> probably would have cost, you know, in upwards back then of like 30 to 50 million to do that film. Whereas our film, you know, started with a budget of about like, I think seven or 8 million and ended up being somewhere around like 12 million or something like, mm. I mean, you, you never, you, the problem with the budget on this again is the Shaw brothers are businessmen. And so <clears throat> they didn't want to spend $50 million or $35 million to do a film. They wanted to spend like, they wanted to spend like $10, you know? And, and so what they did, so what they did was they spent, you know, the, the original budget, I think, was like, you know, somewhere between five and seven million, something like that. But even at that, they said it was 14 million or 12 million, and it really wasn't. They were doing that because they wanted to sell the movie and make it worth more. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you know, so, so when they went to like, you know, when they went to sell it, people would say, well, what, <clears throat> what, have, what do you got into it? They'd say, oh, we, we, you know, it's a $14 million film. Well, it really wasn't a $14 million film. It was more like an $8 million film or $7 million film. And a lot of that cost shouldn't even have been incurred because there's no, the actors weren't, you know, like these huge stars. The, you know, the, they, Robert Patrick got paid well because, again, Robert Patrick was a friend of Alan Schechter's from the Joel Silver days, the mm-hmm. Terminator days. <clears throat> and so he made sure that, that Robert got paid well, but um, no, the other actors got paid, you know, good salaries, but it wasn't like we had high priced talent. The biggest cost was the, you know, like the special effects and all the stuff that Schechter was building all these weird tanks and trucks and guns that you don't even really see in the movie, you know? And, (laughs) and yeah. And, and yeah. And, and, and then you had, you add on to that, the fact that we came to Cleveland to shoot and, we, you know, we, we started shooting in Cleveland and it was very expensive because we, we've, I mean, 99% of the crew was from Los Angeles, you know? So it was, we're, you know, you're, you're here in Cleveland for like eight weeks shooting and you're shooting, you know, locations are cheaper here, but at at one point, you know, the, the Shaw brothers stopped the production and said, we're moving back to Los Angeles to shoot the, the stuff that we need to shoot still, which was the power whatever, like the power core headquarters, which is mm-hmm. where the, you know, like the, that, that was a warehouse in Los Angeles. And when we went down, when he went to the laboratory and all the, all the monsters were like on the tables and everything that's in Los Angeles. And the chase with the truck chase scene was in Los Angeles. So that was a, a little bit of a political move as well that for the Shaw brothers to get back at, at Schechter because, you know, 
was from Cleveland. Alan wanted to shoot the film in Cleveland, so that's why we were in Cleveland. And and Cleveland proved to be too expensive, even though the locations were cheaper. They didn't have the weather that we needed, and they didn't have all the locations we needed. So the Shaw Brothers, almost to kind of like put Schechter in his place, they said, we're going back to Los Angeles. Hmm. So we shut down, went back to Los Angeles, and when they got to Los Angeles, they had a huge union problem because what they were paying people in Cleveland wasn't what they were going to be paying people in Los Angeles. And so they had, you know, to negotiate a whole union contract for a couple of weeks. So during those couple of weeks, we basically went, we built the sets. We built Shuko's office was also in Los Angeles, but the, the one with the glass floor and it was like a 360 kind of degree, 360 degree room. All that was built in Los Angeles, but we basically went. We basically went there, and I uh, rehearsed the actors for like a couple, you know, a couple of days. I don't know off each week, and we, went, the DP was there, and you know, like Robert Patrick was there, and, and Scott and Mark and, and Alyssa, you know, <clears throat> they would come in, and we would just walk through the scenes, and we'd walk through the scenes with the choreo- choreographers and just say, okay, here's what we're going to do here. So we kind of, we were able to storyboard and block out everything for those scenes, whereas we didn't have the time to do it in Cleveland so much. Mm-hmm. Although although I have, I still have all the storyboards and everything, because I actually did some as well at that point, because we were to add scenes and things. And uh, it's pretty fun to, I, I still have the dailies in my vault somewhere, but they were on VHS tapes back then, oh, wow. which is kind of interesting. But but uh, so, yeah, so the, the, it's, it was there was a downtime about three or four weeks before we could start shooting again. And that added cost kind of because you had to continue the actors, you know, I mean, they had to be paid. And so a lot of the, a lot of the overall final costs were kind of stupid things, you know, mm-hmm. things, things that things that shouldn't have been that should have been if the planning was done better in the beginning and the timing of the start was a little bit pushed back. I think the whole thing would have went smoother. Mm-hmm. I also read that there was an accident with your original DOP, uh, Tony Mitchell, I think. Yeah, he was Tony Mitchell. I brought in and cause I always liked Tony Mitchell and, and Alan Schechter was a big fan of Tony Mitchell. Tony Mitchell was a DP on, on a lot of music videos. He did, Wild Boys by Duran Duran. I don't know if you ever saw that, which mm-hmm. was fantastic. Yeah. And he yeah. did uh, Don't Don't Come Around Here No More with Tom Petty, where he was like Alice in Wonderland kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And Tony was Tony was a spectacular DP. I mean, he I think he lasted like two days. <laughs> it was like <laughs> oh. we were we were on the set on the on the river set, which is where the boathouse scene was, and the fight there. And Tony was, was, that was like the first, the first week of the film. And he was handheld shooting the guys that were climbing up over the chain link fence. And as he, he, so he had the camera on his shoulder and he took a, he like took a step or two up the hill and he slid down with the camera and he kind of twisted his back. And so he, he his so his back was messed up and then, <clears throat> the uh, producers brought in a chiropractor from Cleveland somewhere, and Tony swears that the chiropractor goofed him up more, you know. And so that was like oh. a whole weird 
thing. But one of the funniest things was Tony was was like, I mean, he could barely, he couldn't really walk very well. You know, he 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 was laying down most of the time, and we shot that whole scene. And I don't know how familiar you are if you know scenes or that from the film, but mm-hmm. there's a scene where there's a scene where we had a, a like a luma a, a luma crane going over the fountains, and mm-hmm. the skate all all the kids were skating around, and Tony shot that scene operating the wheels to the camera while laying on a stretcher, <laughs> and yeah, and 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 what and I, and what was weird is that the crane had a move. And the crane's got like a, you know, the wires for the camera, the controls are, you know, pretty long, but they, they had, we had grips moving the dolly with the crane on it. And we had grips moving the stretcher with Tony on it. So that, the, <laughs> and, and when, 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 um, Sunil Shaw, who's the, the oldest brother came in and saw that he said, you know, enough is enough. We got to get another DP. You know, this is, <laughs> This is we can't we can't do a whole movie like this with a stretcher, you know. <laughs> so yeah, so that was that was pretty funny. <laughs> so yeah, and he's probably right. I mean, it, it's it's I admire the dedication, but um, I guess I agree that it it'd be difficult to do an entire movie like this. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It would. It was. You know, it it it, it looked pretty funny. I I we actually have. Somewhere again, we we actually have like um, B roll. We should not B roll, but we we shot behind the scenes videos, and I mm-hmm. think that maybe maybe one of the Shaw brothers has them or something. But it was pretty pretty funny to see, and and so we brought in uh, Gary Kimby, who you know he wasn't a big he wasn't a, like he wasn't a star movie uh, DP, but he he could get the job done. And so he came in and what happened, you know, unfortunately, well, fortunately, fortunately he got us through the movie, but what happened unfortunately was that it really lost any style that it could have possibly had with Tony Mitchell. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Tony was more of a guy that, you know, you'd, you'd set up a scene and you'd, you'd tell him, okay, we're going to shoot this scene in this room. He'd walk around and he'd get like one big like 12k HMI and stick it behind a piece of furniture and light the room interestingly and that would be it you know and and that that was a kind of his style where he wouldn't put up a zillion lights he'd use like one light in the perfect place mm-hmm. you know and and so that that was kind of like i don't know if <laughs> again in the river scene where the boys are walking down the road in the river there's, you could see in the, in the tone, in the weeds, Tony had those mirrors reflecting the sun mm-hmm. and they're in the shot. And the producers were saying they're in the shot. And Tony goes, I want them in the shot. He wanted that kind of like weird, like, what are these things lighting the scene kind of, you know I mean? It's like, <clears throat> that's the kind of DP that Tony was. And, and we lost that, you know, when, when he, but the other thing that was kind of interesting about the film was the Shaw brothers are Indian. And before the first thing we shot was the two brothers walking down the road before they end up going into the fight by, you know, by the river They're by the river there. That was the very first scene that we, we shot in the film. Mm-hmm. And before we, we could shoot that scene, we, we had a 
have like this little ceremony, which is pretty funny, where they burn like this candle and they chant something, some kind of Indian prayer. And we had to shoot the first shot exactly at like 10.08 or something. I mean, it was like, it was really funny that they were so into this like astrology and, and, and I guess it's a, you know, more of a Hindu Indian kind of practice, but obviously it didn't work out too well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe you started at 1009 or something. (laughs) Yeah. And, and don't, and don't get me wrong. I'm not putting the blame for this for, for on on everybody else. because I, I Mm. feel that, there's a lot that I could have done, like I said, to make it better, but I felt, you know, that I was like the new kid on the block and I, I really didn't want to jump in and, and start telling people, you know, what to do, especially with Alan, because Alan was like a close friend, you know, so it was, it was very difficult situation, but, but it, I take a lot of the blame for myself, but yet now when I look back at it, it's not as bad as I thought it was. If that's, if that's, if that, if that kind of sounds weird, but, but it, you know, when I, when we finished it, I thought, well, it's not bad. And then I, I didn't see it for a while. And I saw it again. I thought, oh boy, it's, it was stupid, kind of a corny bad. But then I look at it and I think, well, there's still moments, you know, that kids would like. And what's really strange is my son was, um, was working with somebody that was from like either New Zealand or like one of those little islands in, in out in the Pacific, and they found out that his dad did Double Dragon, and they went crazy because it was like it's like the was like the most popular action movie down there of all time, which which wow. which which was yeah. And and in fact, he had me sign like a copy of the DVD for him because it was it was huge for them. And I thought this is really bizarre that in like one <laughs> little island, it, it it worked on that island. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah like i said i mean it's i i don't think it's a bad movie i think it has a lot to offer um i think it has a good comic book kind of energy i think it's fun um it's just it's it's an enjoyable film um it obviously has its flaws but um i mean robert patrick is a lot of fun um as the villain um his scenes are great i think um and yeah, like I said, it just has that kind of energy, and there's a creativity to it. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is is the setting, actually, because this this kind of uh, dystopian post-apocalyptic <clears throat> future that it draws, the New Angeles of 2007. Um, I mean, you see, uh, like there is an inept police force, and you have gang violence, and you even have a riot. And I was thinking, okay, that movie was shot just a few years after the L.A. riots, just one or two years after the L.A. riots. So I was wondering if that sort of played into the, the scenario uh, that you drew in the film. Well, a lot of that was all... I attribute most of that whole feeling was Alan Schechter. Because Alan, Alan is this, is a, was a survivorist, or survivalist. You know, so I mean, he was always thinking that the world you know, that somebody's going to take over and the world's going to end and there's going to be a terrorism and this. And so, you know, he put in all the, you know, post-apocalyptic things, the Los Angeles, you know, the water being underwater, having sands on the hills to blow the pollution away, all the, the earthquakes, all that stuff was, was basically, you know, 
put in by Alan Schechter. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically because Alan was kind of afraid of everything. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think I think that that was his, you know, his answer to his, you know, put it all in a movie, everything he's, you know, he was thinking that we're all going to die with earthquakes, we're all going to die with this, we're all going to, you know, they're going to go underwater. The, like you, exactly what you said, the riots, the L.A. riots, probably influenced him as well. And, you know, unfortunately, Alan committed suicide a couple of years ago. Oh, dear. I don't know I if you know that. I, I don't know if you know that, but no. Yeah, that was it was I mean, it was quite a shock. I, you know, I had I, I spoke to him on and off over the years after the movie and he had done a number of projects. And, and then I got this message from you know, Ash Shaw that Alan committed suicide and I called Alan's brother, and in fact, I just spoke to Alan's brother a couple of weeks ago just to say hello. And and his and his brother, you know, his brother still is, can't get over it. You know, I mean, it's like it's such a shame because Alan was a genius. You know, I mean, he really was. He could have been like the next big movie producer to, for action movies because he he just knew what it took to do these things. And and he was, you know, he was, you know, working with the Shaw brothers. And they didn't get along because, you know, Ellen needed big money and they didn't have big money or they didn't want to spend big money. And but but it's kind of it's, it's a shame. But that's all these fears, basically, of the rioting and all that stuff I came from, you know, Alan and the weapons and all this, that whole feel of the movie, which is interesting. But again, if you look at it in terms of, OK, in a kid's movie, you didn't really need all that stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, but yet, Alan didn't see it as a kid's movie, so he kept throwing in stuff that he wanted it to be the movie that he wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that kind of puts the movie into the same, same arena, like Super Mario and also like Street Fighter, that it has these, you know, all these different influences. Like Super Mario has elements um, which are really weird and, and offbeat and kind of dark and then they have sort of slapstick sequences and everything, so really odd kind of humor. And also yeah. Street Fighter has some very over-the-top, like, comic book characters and, and jokes and everything. But it also has tanks and, like, a Civil War setting and everything. So um, it, it's interesting, then, with all of these films, apparently was a lot of discussion, like, what the tone of the thing would be. And it seems that... Um, that sort of pulled everything apart um, in all three cases, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the comic book movies, I, I mean, e- you know, even me as a viewer, I don't, I don't think that they got it right until recently. I mean, I, I loved the Joker and I loved the dark Knight, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, but before, but before that, they, they just didn't, to me, they didn't quite get it right. And I don't know if it was casting or, or the writing or what it was. But to me, when you get to now, like a movie like the, the dark Knight or the Joker, to me, that's how that they got it right. You know what I mean? It's, it, it, it really works like that, you know? And, and so I think it was just, we were part of the learning curve, maybe, you know, all the, all, all those movies, you know, and, and, and also you got to keep in mind that back in those days, CGI was really bad. You know, I mean, it was, mm you know, the technology was just, you know, they had a computer that was doing this, the stuff that we needed done, like the Shuko shadow and all that stuff 
that the computer could take the whole room. It could fill up the whole room, you know, it just, just to, just to do that, something that you, you and I could do on Photoshop right now, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it was, it was, it was crazy. And so all of, all, all of the movies, not just Double Dragon, but all of them were kind of limited in those days by the technology. Cause, cause you know, you're talking about movies that are based on technology and yet the technology wasn't there yet. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And you try to to insert some of the computer technology actually into the movie, like you have these sequences where you see, like the scene with the car chase, um, where you have a little computer screen that actually draws uh, like the street and the the cars onto a grid, and you know all the the, the kind of early '90s computer graphics. I mean, that, that look. Um, like I know they look. They from... look so. They look so dated now, don't they? Yeah. I mean, like I said, you you and I could do that. And with Photoshop or, or Illustrator, easily right now. But back then, it took forever. It took forever to do that. And the virtual, the the when her little brother's playing that virtual thing with the roller coaster, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that took forever to do. And it, you know, and, and nowadays, I can go to the store and buy those uh, Acolis glasses, and I and I and I could actually just watch it. So it was, you know, that, again, it was the Alan Schechter saying okay in the future people are going to be able to do this and so he put that in and it you know it took forever to do it and it worked but it was kind of like interesting that he, he was dead on because that's what p- kids are doing now with those glasses here in america they mm-hmm. they have those uh college gla- glasses that they wear yeah the the oculus um oculus yeah yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i did it my my son's got one and I watch and it's pretty interesting because where whichever way you turn, obviously you see whatever you see. But it's it's interesting. You can get sh- TV shows now here that are set up for that. <clears throat> so uh-huh. you you could watch shows like that, which is pretty interesting. And I mean, the, the in the future there'll probably be all kinds of things like that that'll replace movies where you'll just be able to you'll be in the room with the actors as opposed to seeing, which takes away the direction because you can look at whatever you want, you know, and which is, which, which is both good and bad, but it's something that Alan wanted to put in the movie. He, he always tried to put stuff in that he thought would be, you know, technology for the future. But unfortunately back then we weren't capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to, to uh, ask you about was the music of the film. Um, right. Because, well, I guess you didn't have a, a lot of budget for the music um, because most of the acts that are, are on the soundtrack are, well, not really huge acts. I mean, Coolio is on there with a, with a theme song, but did you, um, was that your music selection? Did you have any say in the, in the selection of the music? I really, no, I didn't. I, they, that was just them trying to get as good as they could for the money that they had, basically. Mm-hmm. And and the only the only say I had was I think is the last track I don't know if you have it in front of you is it all together now is that what it's called I I suggested that one because that's that's by the Farm which which was this English band that Genesis these the, my friends Genesis Phil Collins and everybody that's it was kind of like their project basically mm, okay so I said well this would be a good one for the ending and I and I did like a rough cut and I put it on there and Ash Shaw saw it and said yeah that works perfect so. So that's how that one got on, but the rest of the stuff, you didn't have much say. I I actually 
chose the composer of the original music, you know, because I thought, you know, as Jay Ferguson, who was uh, another person that I knew from Los Angeles, who was in a, a couple bands out here and had done a bunch of little film things, he'd sent a demo and I thought it worked, the stuff that he wrote worked perfect for the movie. Mm-hmm. And so, so they hired, you know, we hired him and uh, he's actually quite successful now. I mean, he, he did in America, he did the theme for the TV show, The Office, which mm-hmm. is, is very popular. I mean, not the English version, but the American version of The Office. Mm-hmm. And so, so I had to stay with him, but the, the stuff that they put on, they just tried to get, like you said, as good artists as they could for the budget. Mm-hmm. Which artists would you have chosen? Did you have any ideas or suggestions? Oh, that, yeah, uh... yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have went to all the people that I know, basically, because I could have, you know, I like the, the Phil Collins people and, you know, and, and, and the Iron Maiden people and, you know, and just different, you know, a little bit, you know, everything from, you know, like, like a Peter Gabriel to, to, you know, Iron Maiden. Because, mm-hmm. because just simply because, the you know t- there's there's plenty of songs that that would fit in the movie as you know just simply because they fit the scene in the movie but um the, for some reason that got done as an afterthought it was again one of these weird things where things were done without me even knowing about that oh this is done already you know it's kind of like weird mm-hmm. yeah it would be interesting to see that version of the film you know that um the film that you would have made, like with Tony Mitchell and with the music that you had in mind and the the tone that you had in mind. Yes, I agree. I, I agree. <laughs> so when the movie came out, I mean, I think most of the reviews were, were pretty negative. Um, I mean, it was called everything from cheesy to stupid to uh, I don't know what. Um, yeah. So how did you experience that? Well, I figured with that, that, you know, to me, I figured, well, that's it. Okay. It's never going to, it's never going to go anywhere. It's not going to do anything. But I, again, knowing the background, I mean, it bothered me personally, but it, it also bothered me more that it was what I consider like a bad business mistake. You know, the mm-hmm. fact that they, that they targeted the wrong audience, all the things it kind of like summed up all the things that I was thinking for the whole time period that we were doing it the things that were being done wrong, the, you know, like the things, the way that the production was rushed to do this and how they didn't, they couldn't agree on what the movie was going to be about, how they couldn't have a script that was done to 90 pages so that we could have shot what everybody liked and, 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 and got all those arguments out of the way before we started shooting. And, mm-hmm. and none of the, none of that happened. So it's almost like, okay, it's kind of, they got what they deserved. And unfortunately, I got what I deserved because I was part of it, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, it was very, I mean, obviously, I felt bad about it. But luckily, I'm, I was still doing a lot of other things, like television shows and videos and things. So I thought, well, on the next one, I'll do this, you know. But, but I haven't done it. I mean, I did a, a small independent movie, but I really, <clears throat> I had not, I didn't have that much interest in doing any other films where, I was like a hired gun, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I thought, okay, I've done that. If, if I do another film, it's going to be something that I write or that I co-write or come up with an idea for that I really like. 
that I want to, and, and I haven't had the time actually to do that. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. Mark Brazil and I, Mark Brazil and I have done a lot of you know, like brainstorming about different things over the years and we just haven't done them because we were all both doing our, you know, our other stuff. But <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think, I mean, I, I was, I was bothered. I mean, it bothered me a lot, but I don't, I don't think I, I wasn't as, I didn't go into like a death, death spiral or anything, you know, from it. I just thought, well, that's, you know what, that's kind of like what happens when you do things this way. And I, you figure you learn from your mistakes the next time you're going to do something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it was definitely worth, you know, the, cause you really learned, like I said, I learned from the experience and it, it was a great experience, even as, as tough as it was. And with all the problems, it was a great experience. We had a great crew. We, you know, Alan and the Shaw brothers were great to work with. They, they, we're all very supportive and it was just, you know, it was kind of like a shame that it didn't work out because it, it, everybody that was in place was, was good at what they did. Mm-hmm. You know, like Mark, like Mark Amato, who was doing the, you know, the, the stunt coordinating and everything. You know, I mean that, you know, he, he's, he's amazing. You know, he did like, you know, the crow and things, you know, I mean, he's like, you know, he, mm. these, these, and what's really funny you know, because all these stunt guys that were in this movie have been in a zillion movies, you know, over the years. And now when I go to, ever since Double Dragon, when I go to see a movie, as soon as I see one of those guys, I know a fight's going to break out. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if, if you're in a restaurant, you're seen, if you're, you're seeing a scene in a restaurant, and if I see, like, one of those guys sitting at a table, I think to myself, <laughs> okay, some, so, somebody's going to get get shot or something's going to happen pretty soon, you know. <laughs> That's interesting. That's the double drag legacy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That you, you, you know what, you know what's going to happen, but yeah. And, and, and then, you know, like El Desario, the guy who blew, you know, the blew up the river. And everything. I mean, this is the guy that blew up the, the building in Die Hard. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, they're all, they were all great people to work with. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have given up that experience. You know, I mean, it was, it was terrific. It's a shame it didn't work out and I would have done things different in hindsight. Obviously everybody would have done things different, but you know, you couldn't, you couldn't pay for that experience like that. Mm -hmm. Now, some of the the films like super Mario brothers um, and also mortal Kombat, um, they experience some kind of, well, I don't know how to call it. Um, well, after after these years, after twenty five years, people revisit them and they have some sort of revival. Like there are now a lot of fans of the Super Mario film, um, and there's a lot of talk about Mortal Kombat being the best video game adaptation uh, that there ha- that there's been up to this point. Um, right. So I'm curious if if something like that happens to you also with Double Dragon, like you say when you, you said that it was. Um, I, I don't know what the country was. Um, this little island somewhere in the Pacific. Um, I say it's the it's their favorite film. Um, it, it, do you have that experience? Do people come up to you and 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 tell you, "Oh, Double Dragon, that was a, a very cool movie from my childhood," uh, or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Occasionally, I do when when somebody sees like my credits or something, and they see that, and they go, "Oh my gosh," they'll they'll say, "I really like that," you know. It, and I find that younger kids seem to like, you know, when kids that were younger at the time seemed to like it the most. But like I said, 
I've had over the years a number of my son's friends <clears throat> who really liked the movie that didn't know at the time that I did it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so it, it it's kind of it's kind of nice it's, in terms of revival. I I have a couple of, you know of of ideas for things that I think could be interesting to do with Double Dragon, and that I'm actually trying to put together now. And I was going to actually <clears throat> get together with the Shaw brothers and see if they're interested in doing something, but it's got a, enough now it, years have gone by now that people could look at it and say, you know, this is cause it's not violent at all now. So it's kind of a pretty good kids movie right now, as opposed to 1993, where I guess throwing somebody off of a, you know, like one of those building things was like, a, you know, violent at mm. that time. Yeah, I think also back at that point, there was a lot of discussion on how violent the video games actually are. And I mean, Double Dragon is a pretty violent game. So I think all of that got sort of mixed up in um, in that discussion. I do think it's it's a great kids movie. Um, it's something that is, it's, it's completely harmless. I think there's nothing in there that like an eight or a 10 year old uh, wouldn't be able to, to see in process. Um, right. So, yeah. Right. So yeah, maybe we can expect some something new on the double double dragon front from you. Oh, hopefully, hopefully, I mean, I have I have to get to. I mean, I haven't really spoken to them yet about this, but I I had an idea and I spoke to um, a couple people about it. And in fact, I spoke to Mark Brazil about it, the, the the third writer on it, and he likes the idea. And so we thought, well, let's maybe we should talk to the Shaw brothers and see if they want to do something. Okay, would this be a movie or some kind of other project? Well, no, think of a movie. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to give it away because I know that mm-hmm. sounds corny. I don't want to give it. But if I give it away, then one of the other superhero movies will do it yeah, before we yeah. do. <laughs> I, no, I completely understand. <laughs> um, but of course, I'm very curious. <laughs> yeah. So well, yeah, um, as, as it gets closer, I'll let you know, Christian.